Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today is Monday, November 9th, 2020. In today's podcast, I'm joined again by Dr. Stephanie Melka to discuss birth plans in our podcast, Birth Plans and God Laughs. In addition to all the time we spent coming up with that witty title, we also actually recorded our thoughts on this topic. Birth plans are a really interesting phenomenon. On the one hand, they make a lot of sense. There are many preferences a woman might have regarding her birth experience, so why not put them down on paper in an organized fashion? Great idea. But birth plans can also be a source of conflict between the woman and her doctor or midwife, especially if one of her preferences isn't an option logistically or if the provider is not comfortable with her choices for whatever reason. Melk and I have both been in situations where birth plans were very helpful, as well as situations where they were problematic. Hopefully, our podcast today will be helpful for women considering their own preferences for delivery and how to best optimize the chances the delivery is as close as possible to the experience she was hoping for. On Thursday, we'll have a podcast on a gynecology topic. I'll be joined by Dr. Caroline Friedman to discuss PMS, premenstrual symptoms, and premenstrual syndrome. Thanks to all of you for listening and sending feedback. A few weeks ago, we passed 20,000 downloads, which is really cool. I really appreciate it if you could go on Apple and rate us. Ideally, five stars, but that's your call, of course. Also, if you do write a review on Apple, I promise I read all of them, and I really appreciate them. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right. Welcome back, Melka. We're going to talk about birth plans today. Bring it. So what was in your birth plan? Give me a healthy baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so not not a detailed and, birth plan. And maybe take this tube out of my kidney that's been yeah. there for the last seven weeks. <laughs> that's a separate podcast. I'm a little skewed. <laughs> yeah, Melka's, Melka's right kidney and potty mouth is a separate <laughs> is a separate podcast. That oh, that's going to be a good one. But in all seriousness, birth plans come up a lot. You know, we have a lot of women that deliver in our practice, not all, but many of whom either present us with a birth plan or ask us about should they have a birth plan. And there's a ton of stuff online. I mean, we were just, you know, right before this, Googling various birth plans online. And we're going to look at some of them, you know, during this podcast. And, you know, just conceptually, just so our listeners understand, what is a birth plan? It's basically just your vision of what your birth is. Right. Do you have an epidural or not? How is your baby being delivered? Who's there with you? Just sort of writing out what what does that look like? Birth plans are somewhat unique. I mean, people don't really have plans, like written plans that they have for other sort of life events or medical events based on how you view birth. Why do they exist? Like, why, why do they even come to be as far as you know? Years ago, medicine was very paternalistic. Mm -hmm. You know, obstetrics in general, you know, you, you hear stories of women who are just told to do what the doctor said and right. would undergo procedures or interventions without being asked or told what was happening. And the birth plan sort of came as a way to start reclaiming autonomy. Yeah, it's interesting. And in this country, I think most of the doctors who are trained, certainly now and for a while, have really been taught this idea of, you know, it's, it's patient autonomy and in obstetrics, you know, she has to be involved in these decisions. And it's true in all aspects of medicine. But I remember I, I literally just this weekend, someone was telling me, 
and he was from a you know country in Europe. And he said when he and his wife were there for the birth of, I think, their second child, and he was there on business or whatever, and they're at the doctor's office, and she was asking him questions and very routine type of questions that people ask us. And the doctor, after like the third, he said, wait. And he put his hand up. He said, I'm the doctor. Just listen to me. And that's all you need to do. And that was it. Like, end of conversation, meaning get out. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) And he was was like, whoa, like we are not in the US anymore. And I think that that's how things, like you said, used to be everywhere. And there weren't these conversations about it. So the birth plan came about. And I think that part of the reason some doctors or midwives nowadays might not be so happy with birth plans is they sort of feel like, well, we're not like that. Meaning we were trained differently. We we don't have this paternalistic view. And now we're having someone almost accuse us of it by sticking this birth plan in our face. And I think- The sort of yeah. crude way that I've heard people compare it is if you take your car to the mechanic- you don't tell the mechanic how to do their job. Right. So why are you telling me as your doctor how to do my job? Right. I think that when doctors look at it that way, I think that's where why they often feel bothered by it. Right. And I think there's truth to that based on exactly what's in the birth plan. Right. If someone said to me, you know, I'm going to have a cesarean and I want you to use this type of scissors and this suture and, you know, use your left hand here and your like, I'd be like, what are you like out of your mind? Like, you know, <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. And that's sort of comparable to me telling the mechanic what to do. However, if, you know, I went to the mechanic with my car and he said to me, we have two options here. Like we can choose to fix your car. It's going to cost you this amount of money. I think it's likely to work for X amount of years and you're probably gonna have to plunk more money into it again. The other option might be better to just like replace this engine entirely or get a new car. In that sense, again, I have the autonomy over how Mm -hmm. to make that decision. If he just said to me, we're going to do this and I'm not going to present the other option, I would be a little annoyed with that. And so I think that it's really, you have to compare apples to apples with this. And I think that, you know, in my experience in reviewing birth plans and talking to women about this or to couples about this, there's basically the kinds that are just an extension of the conversations we would normally have where, you know, the things that are basically like, it has to be a certain way because this is the safe way to do it. It is the way I know how to do it. Okay. Whereas the other things where there's, you know, a lot of options, a lot of leeway, a lot of pluses and minuses to both. You know, we sort of figure out what she prefers. But then there's other people who come in with sort of like these demands. You have to do A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, listen, I just can't do that. Like, it's not an option for you. And that's, it's not combative, but it's just not possible. And then it's a difficult conversation. And so there is a wide range here. I imagine you've had all of those yeah. <laughs> situations come up. And so I think that the concept of a birth plan, it's a little bit unusual, but based on how it's done, it can either be a very helpful process, potentially. It could be a completely neutral process where it's done, but totally unnecessary because these things were already decided upon, or it can be a, a destructive process based on how the patient comes to the conversation and based on the, how the doctor uh, or midwife comes to the conversation. And so I usually try to come with an open mind when we start <laughs> and see which way it's going and then figure it out from there. Yeah. Why would a patient feel that it's important to write these things down specifically as opposed to just asking? A lot of it I find is what they're told. Right. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I was told to write a birth plan or I was told to ask you if I should write one. Less so, I think it's also people who have had friends, family who have had bad experiences where the patient then feels if they 
put things into writing and were more proactive that they could help themselves avoid those types of situations. I agree. I think it's rare that someone comes up with this idea out of nowhere. I think that either they heard about it, they went to a birthing class and the the instructor or whoever said, hey, you know, you should do a birth plan, as you should do, or they're reading a book or they went online and they sort of found it and they said, oh, we should do this. Or someone said, like, make sure you discuss <laughs> this with your doctor and make sure you put in writing and and one. And I guess that's why someone would write it. And as an obstetrician, do you want someone to have one? Do you want someone not to have one? Do you not really care either way? What do you view from your end of it? I'm pretty neutral on it. I think it helps patients feel better when they write one and talk about it with us in advance. Often things that people write down are sort of based on misconceptions. Right. Or they'll say, I don't want X unless absolutely necessary. And it's my chance to say, well, I'm not going to do that unless it's absolutely necessary. Right. You know, the big one that gets thrown around is episiotomy. Patients will say, I don't want it unless it's necessary. And I can confidently say we don't do them routinely. Right. We do them when there is a clear medical benefit for you or the baby. And I think patients, when they understand that beforehand, tend to be much more relaxed when they're in labor, knowing that we're not going to do all these things kind of without a reason, without their consent. I don't really care if they have one or not. For me, the more important thing is if they have something they are thinking about or they want to talk about, I really think they should ask me, right? Or one of my you know partners, is this something they should bring up? I think it's more important to make sure you have the conversations about it than to come with a piece of paper, right? If the piece of paper is the tool that you're going to use to organize your thoughts. So these are the things I need to discuss with the doctor. You know, a lot of people keep lists and, you know, all these, you know, whatever spreadsheets. And that's great if that's what you need to organize it. But the paper means very little to me compared to the conversation. Yeah. So like what you said, if someone comes with a paper that has a box check that says, I don't want an episiotomy, that's not helpful in the least. Right. But if we have a conversation about episiotomy, that's very, very helpful because she's going to understand sort of where I'm coming from. Am I the type of doctor that always does them? No, right? right? Most most are not anymore. Am I the doctor who never does them? I would say, no, that doesn't make any sense because sometimes it's the right thing to do. And then we have the conversation. You know, when would I do it? When wouldn't I do it? Am I going to tell you if I'm going to do it? Yes. <laughs> like there's these types of things that sort of that conversation's critical because then she won't be worried about episiotomy or if for whatever reason, you know, my answer to her is so horrible she'll know and she'll have an opportunity to go another doctor. Mm -hmm. But just coming up with a piece of paper is really not going to help me at all. So I view the birth plan as sort of a framework to have conversations. And if it comes in the form of a birth plan, fine. If it comes in the form of a, you know, a list on someone's iPhone, like these are the nine questions I want to ask you, or the things I want to talk about. Great. As long mm -hmm. as those conversations took place, that's really more important. And the other thing is when someone's in labor, it's not like surgery where they're like asleep and we sort of, they go to sleep and they wake up, it's done. Like we're talking the whole time, <laughs> you know, they're awake, I'm awake, everyone's awake. And yes. so we're, 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 you know, we're in and out of the room and these conversations are ongoing. So like, for example, a lot of people put in their birth plan about, I don't want Pitocin unless A, B, or C. And I'd be like, well, fine, but like, why are we deciding about Pitocin now when you're 32 weeks pregnant sitting in my office. I'm not giving it to you now, right? If, <laughs> if I think you need it in labor, we're going to talk about it. I'll say like, you know, here's what's going on. Here's why I think you need Pitocin. You ask any questions you have and good, we'll decide yeah. when. Uh, whereas, you know, so a lot of the decisions that people are trying to, you know, grapple with and work out just don't make sense to do it earlier. The few that are 
deal breakers people know about well in advance of even coming to our practice. You right. know, things like I want a water birth or right. I want to be in a birthing center. You know, those right. are things we just we don't offer. We don't right. have those. I don't know that I've ever had like something that major come up. Right. You know, sometimes people, it happens rarely will someone will in the middle of pregnancy or unfortunately sometimes towards the end say, I need to be delivered by one of these three doctors because they're men, because they're women, because I don't like the <laughs> others, whatever it is. And we're like, uh, well, like that's sort of not how we do things. Right. We have a, a schedule who's on labor floor and, and that's tough. And so that's something that, yes, someone has a very specific request and they're not sure it's an option that needs to be discussed early because this is the reality either you're gonna have to you know accept that or find somewhere else that's appropriate for you like you said water birth like yeah I mean, if you want to have a water birth we don't have tubs you know right. it's just not <laughs> it's not an option you know we can't really do it and so those are the things how would someone know if it's a deal breaker or not a deal breaker i think anything that involves like personnel equipment, you know, <laughs> something, you know, it's probably a good idea to ask early on in the process. Most people don't have those expectations when they come to our practice or any practice. They sort of like get it. But some people are just surprised. Maybe they maybe they're from another country where it's sort of, you know, usual in every hospital to have certain things. And so it it is important to ask early. But I, again, I don't find that that's such a big thing. What are the specifics that people put into a birth plan? Oh my God, there's so much. Right. <laughs> this was the point where I said, let's Google it. Let's find birth plans. What are some of the wildest things you've seen in birth plans? Delivering at the time of the eclipse. Ooh, that's a good <laughs> one. Were you able to accommodate that request? It was not me. I believe the doctor involved came close. I had someone who wrote in their birth plan, if I go into cardiopulmonary arrest, I would like to be resuscitated. That's good to know. Yeah, and I was, I was like, I was like, was there a thought we wouldn't? Try? I was like, oh, okay, check. Uh, I had another one that said, I want an episiotomy. I said, are you sure this right, is, is that not a typo? She said, what do you mean? I said, I've read hundreds, thousands of birth plans. There's never been one that asked for an episiotomy. They all asked to not have an episiotomy. She's like, oh, I don't know. That's what my birth teacher said. I said, maybe go back and see which one <laughs> she was talking about. It's probably the not is what she meant is my guess. Uh, those are two pretty interesting ones, I guess. Some people do around New Year's. They want to go right before, right after. I don't want so much a birth plan as much as like, hey, that'd be pretty cool. The yeah. tax deduction. If yes. I deliver before the New Year, I get a tax deduction. Mm -hmm. And I've already hit my deductible for the year. I've had that in a birth plan. Yeah, that's a big one. That is that is definitely a big one. Some of the stuff is the setting. Who's there? Right. You know, I'm in labor. I'm going to be there with my partner, wife, husband, boyfriend, whatever. Right. My doula. Right. I would like music. I don't want music. Who do I want involved? I only want senior nurses, female nurses, doctors, not midwives, midwives, not doctors. Then there's the requests of like the interventions. Right. And I, again, I think with things related to personnel, that is something to talk about beforehand. Very early um, on. Right. Whether you write it down or not, definitely talk about it. Because for example, sometimes someone will say, I only want, you know, a woman to deliver me. Like, great. We can't guarantee that. Right. It's just not an option. We can try. And here's how we can try. Here's what we can do. But that's something you need to know well in advance. Or like you said, with nurses, we'll be like, well, we don't choose which nurses take care of you. So we can't guarantee you a certain nurse or I don't want residents involved in my care, or I do want residents. I'll throw yeah. in a plug for our earliest podcast, I think, on yeah. residents and teaching hospitals. Yeah. Um, I think that request comes up a lot. And a lot of that is just 
sort of incorrect information where patients say, I do not want residents. And I'll tell them we, we can't accommodate that. You know, if you're coming in and we're not available, the residents see you, they get your induction started. They help us whenever we need a second set of hands. Right. You know, that I guess also personnel. Yeah. We view them as part of our team. And so I say, listen, we can try. Here's what we can try to do. You know, it's also different if someone's coming in for a scheduled cesarean versus not. I mean, there's there's different situations, but ultimately that's something that has to be discussed early. So definitely, you know, equipment, location, personnel, things like that. If you have special requests, absolutely discuss it as early as possible. Uh, again, write it down, don't write it down, but have that discussion. Okay, then what about the second category you're talking about, interventions? It's, I don't want blank unless medically necessary. And that blank is everything. Induction, (laughs) cesarean, forceps, vacuum, episiotomy, breaking my water, just everything. I view that as a great time, you know, at a prenatal visit to discuss like, well, what is labor? How do we manage labor? Why do we do those things? You know, we don't do forceps on every baby, but if you need to be delivered quickly and your alternative is forceps, a C-section or an unhealthy baby, forceps might then be the right choice for you. I agree. I think the most of the interventions that we're we're talking about are not elective. The main elective one is like an epidural, right? Do I want an epidural? Do I not want an epidural? And what I tell me for that one, discuss it, don't discuss it, put your birth plan, don't put in your birth plan. It's your choice. So ultimately, whatever you want to do is going to be fine. There's exceptions, but basically that's okay. You don't have to think too much about it in advance. You don't have to tell us in advance, like whatever you want to do, we're okay with it, right? If you want an epidural, great. If you don't, great. You know, if you want to talk about it, the pros and cons, you know, risks and benefits, we're happy to have the conversation, but it's not something you need to like put in writing because we're fine either way. So it doesn't really make a big difference. That is a request that sometimes has come up that I I personally can't go along with, where patients will say, I don't want an epidural, even if I ask for one. Oh. Do not give me one. Oh, no, I will yeah. tell them, yeah. it was like, <laughs> I, I can't do that. Yeah. I've heard of patients that have code words where unless I use this code word, don't give me an epidural. And I'm like, I, I can't do that. You know, if if you're saying you want an epidural, I have to take care of you. I can't yeah, go yeah. by a piece of paper rather than what you're telling me. Yeah, And I tell them that you can't expect all the nurses to know this and the anesthesiologists to know this. Like, we can't have these elaborate plans over what you can and can't say. And so, yeah, no, if someone says you can't give me an epidural, like don't ask me about an epidural. Don't let anyone ask me about an epidural because I may give in to it. I'm like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to possibly like make sure that that no one walks in your room and asks you if you want an epidural? Like, I just can't. I said, you and know. And that's also yeah. when someone calls me in labor, that's also how I help them decide is it time to go in or not. Right. You know, if they say, well, I'm getting really uncomfortable and I want an epidural, I'll say, great, head in now, get settled. You'll be more uncomfortable by the time you get there. You'll get your epidural. It'll be perfect timing. And if you don't want one, I can encourage you to stay home a little longer. Right, right. Yeah, so I meant really just I want one versus don't want one. But the very specific and detailed plans about not wanting one, I agree. That's, you know, people come in with that. And I also tell them, say, listen, I was like, come on. You know, we have to be realistic here. This mm-hmm. is, you know, there's a hospital that has anesthesiologists. Someone's going to ask you if you ask for an epidural. No one's going to be like, well, you didn't say the safe word. I mean, it's it's just, you know, we, we have to take care of you. We're not, this is not how we function. It's, you know, it's just not sort of reasonable in that sense. But the other interventions, 
you know, episiotomy, cesarean, induction, oxytocin, you know, IVs. I think if someone feels very strongly about one of them or all of them, it is important to discuss. And the main discussions is really, like you said, why would we do it under what circumstances? Why do we think it's better versus not doing it? And I think, again, those are important conversations for people who have strong feelings about it. Because ultimately, I think it's not wise to put, you know, hard line stops on care that you can receive and say to your doctor, you can do everything except this. It's like, well, what if that's the best thing for you? And it sort of, it puts the doctor in a tough spot and frequently with just conversation, you can get a really good sense of what, what are the fears? What are we trying to avoid? What exactly is going on? And different doctors feel differently. If I see a birth plan, I try not to have anything that's worded as like, we are not going to have this, you know, and anything that says we're not going to have it unless necessary. Well, all those things we don't do unless necessary. <laughs> we don't just do them. You know, we don't just say, Hey, we're doing a C-section. You know, it's, it's, we, we always do that. They're medically necessary. And, and they're it, all things know. that facilitate a vaginal delivery. Right. You know, and that's the other thing I explain to mm -hmm. patients. You know, for example, your water broke, you're not in labor. If you want to facilitate a vaginal delivery, you should be induced. Right. You know, or if the baby's heart rate is dropping and you need to get the baby out quickly and you're fully dilated and you can have forceps or a vacuum, it's that or C-section. Um, so I think also talking through patients, what happens if they don't have that? What are the risks of that? Right. And I think that when when someone has all those, you know, any of those, I don't want this unless it's medically necessary. The way I read it or I sort of ask them to rewrite it is I don't want any of these until we discuss it, you know, which is really saying I want to have a normal relationship with my doctor because that's what <laughs> should happen anyways. Meaning if you have a doctor who's just walking in and doing things to you without talking to you about it, you know, unless it's like a dire emergency that's probably not a good relationship from the start. And so if you want to just clarify, hey, like I do want to be involved in these decisions and discussions, which is, I would say the default. But if you want to just clarify that that's the default, great. But to put these, you know, hard lines, I think sometimes cause more problems than they fix for the person who, who wants them, because it, it may set up one of those combative situations where the doctor feels that he or she is being dictated how to, you know, how to do their job. And to do it, you know, well, whereas in, in reality, it's usually just, I want to be involved in these decisions. I want to know why you're doing something. I don't want you to do something just, you know, for the hell of it, which again, we don't do, but if there's mm -hmm. a fear of that, let's talk about that. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, if I'm having a conversation with someone and, and you know, you know, 99 out of hundred go fine. Cause once they present the birth plan, we talk about it. Everyone's good at the end, but occasionally someone's really pushing me on this and say, no, no, you can't. And I would say like, this is not a good like situation here, mm -hmm. right? You clearly don't trust me. Yeah, You have no trust in me. You don't like the way I practice medicine or the way I do things. You're not in the right place. Like I can't change who I am. Like, it's like you can't go to someone who's about to, a pitcher is about to start the World Series and say, you have to throw lefty now when you're right. <laughs> like, I don't do it that way. Like I, you know, I could, I just won't be as good. So if you want me to, you know, practice in a way that I, I'm not, you know, I, you'll have worse outcomes, you know, because <laughs> I'm not doing it the, the way I was trained to do it. But those are really the exceptions. It's, it's almost always just, I want to talk about these things because I want to understand them better. And that's why it's, it's important. I think there's also a third aspect, which is stuff related to the baby. Yes. That comes in the birth plan a lot. And a lot of that has now become much more routine at the hospital. You know, I tell, I tell patients, I deliver the baby vaginally 
delayed cord clamping, put the baby on your skin or on your chest, skin to skin. Breastfeeding is the default yeah. unless there's some medical need for supplementation or if you want supplementation. Right. The nurses will delay the eye drops and I and the vitamin K to let you have some bonding time. You know, whereas years ago it was like baby delivered, got whisked off to the warmer, and then a half an hour later got brought back to mom. Right. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I think patients are then very reassured. Right. You know, when I and I tell them, I'm like, the second the baby delivers, you're not going to remember what's written down in the birth plan. But everything that's written down here in most of these plans is now what we do pretty routinely. And I think that's been a good change. And so, like you said, the default is to do delayed core sampling, skin to skin, the things that people ask for. And if someone doesn't want it, they'll just say. And and often again, these are things and that, we yeah, ask. at delivery. We'll say, yeah, you know, the, the yeah, where do you want the baby? Where do you, where do you want us to put right. the baby after birth? And you and know, some people you know. don't want that. Some people are like, I don't want to see like a gross looking brand new <laughs> newborn. I'm right. going to pass out. Right. Go bring the baby, get it cleaned up and then bring it back to me. Yeah. Wipe and all, that's fine. Wipe all that schmutz <laughs> off the baby before, you know, before I'm going to hold this kid. Uh, yeah. And again, those are things that just to, you know, just to make sure and to discuss. We have had situations where women don't want their babies administered certain medications. And some of those can be delayed. Some of those are required by state law. And so it's really not our call and some of those are optional. And so these are things that if someone has a specific request, again, just to make sure that it is an option to either delay or defer or you know decline any of these things for the baby, because there's some that you can and some that you can't. Ultimately, they're not, it's, it's not even our call so much. Most of it is with the hospital and the pediatricians, because even though we're there, we're, we're not really, quote unquote, in charge of the newborn after the birth and we hand the, the baby off to the nurses or the pediatricians. But it is something to bring up. So let's see, let's go online. Let's see what else is there. So I'm not gonna list the websites, but here's one, one, two, three, four, five, six page birth plan. That's impressive. What is the plan for the delivery? Okay, who's gonna be in the room with you? Okay, so this is a good one. Like, so for example, there's, you know, about having parents or other children. And that is something to bring up because hospitals sometimes have policies about how many people can be in the room. Is there an age requirement? They have to be above a certain age. Or sometimes these policies change, obviously, with COVID and they change in flu season. And so that, again, personnel is a good thing to bring up in advance. You know, if you have another child, what's your plan? Right. Because yeah. if, if, you know, you, your partner and your child come and you're in labor and the hospital says your child can't be here, someone's got to take that person home. And so now it's, it's so these are things you definitely want to plan in advance during labor, music, lights, quiet room how many exams you're doing. Again, this also has a lot about personnel, about what clothes I'm going to wear. Not I, the doctor, but yeah. I, the patient. I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me to wear something in particular <laughs> for their birth. So that'd be pretty cool. Hey, you know, put on this, you know, I'm sure Nets, there's some, put on this Nets jersey for I'm me. I'm sure there's some deliver. baseball fan that asked you to take off your your Cubs ID chain. <laughs> oh, that has yeah, that has gotten ugly at nice. times. Yeah, I've had some. Yeah, I delivered a Cardinals fan and they were very upset by my Cubs slander. <laughs> and had to take it off. And it was it was. It was a thing. And then they asked for Miller. Who they was, may, I was going to say, did they make Miller come in? Yeah, Miller came in with his red cardinal scrub pants. Nice. Oh, God. It's awful. Yeah, things like eating and drinking and labor. There's different policies in different hospitals. That's a separate podcast because I'm I'm not always in favor of all the policies in the hospitals. <laughs> but but there are. They exist. And so that's something to ask about. And the, the music is not an us thing. It's yeah. a patient thing. You know, yeah, yeah. patients should bring and 
you know, speakers to connect to their iPhone. Sure. I was going to say iPod, but I think that dates me nowadays. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's, it's your Walkman. Uh, right. <laughs> Discman, actually. Yeah, I'd be Walkman, you'd be Discman. Yes, I mean, that is something, again, we're, we're more than happy for someone to have music when they're in labor. Even during C-sections, most of us are okay with it, except for Dr. Silverstein from Mike, who always uh, took over the playlist himself. Had to play himself. his own music. <laughs> yeah, they, no, he would, he would take requests. He would do it, they, but he it had to be from his you know, list. Uh, we're all generally very comfortable people playing music, pretty much whatever they want. Same with the lighting, unless we need lighting to do something, they can have it usually any way uh, they want. Labor's pretty civilized. I had, you know, we watched TV, the lights were <laughs> out, we took naps. I mean, yeah. And you know, occasionally someone would turn the lights on and forget to turn them off. But right. for the most part, like these are all routine things now. Yeah. I mean, generally for people in labor, if everything is going well, no one's really going to come into the room unless they have to, right? A nurse has to check on you, check your blood pressure and you know, do mm -hmm. this, do that, or the doctor. But otherwise, it's really, people are happy to leave you alone. We can see the baby's heart rate from outside the room. There's central monitoring. And mm -hmm. if there is a concern, you have a call bell, you can you know do that. And most people are very happy to let you know patients or partners just you know have labor to their own experience unless they want so. And, yeah, and then there's a lot of stuff here about fetal monitoring. And that's, again, that's like, you know, procedures, like we, we do it for a reason. Mm -hmm. And if you're really, you know, feel strongly about it one way or another, that's great to have a conversation about, uh, again, before labor, because sometimes there's just policies involved. And sometimes it's how the doctor practices and he or she's going to be, have some leeway, but maybe only to a certain degree. And you just have to know where that lies. There's a whole section here on pain relief. Again, there are things here that sometimes aren't and it's such an a hard thing yeah. to plan for. Right. You, you don't know, know how much I, pain you're going to be in. Right. Yeah. I tell patients, you don't you don't know what kind of a labor you're going to have. You know, if it's your first baby and you come in after eight hours of contractions and you're nine centimeters, that's a very different setup than contracting for a day and being two centimeters. Right. Right. And yeah, also what's and, available, you know, right. acupuncture is, we don't do that. You know, I don't, I'm not skilled to do that. And I don't know that you won't be doing it when <laughs> you're in labor. And if, if someone offers it and it's an option, fine. Uh, there's a lot about you know positions in labor or positions when pushing. Generally, most obstetricians and are fine with all the above as long as it allows us, you know, if we have to do fetal monitoring, is that still an option? And also many of these positions are not doable if you have an epidural, right? Your legs have to be strong enough to support a squat if you want to squat when you're pushing or yeah. you know, in labor. So it's just the feasibility of some of these things. And then he yeah, has a whole section on episiotomy about, and then what to do with the baby. And then a lot of stuff about cesarean, if it ends up happening. And again, there's really, you know, just to go back to this, there's the few things that we said that really need to be discussed in advance. If you have a specific request that may not be available, personnel, equipment, whatever it is. After that, I think it's just, a birth plan is useful for people who need a reminder of what to talk about with their mm -hmm. doctor. And if it requires like, hey, I don't even know what to think about. Let's pull up a birth plan, see how many of these things I really care about or don't know about or want to ask about and circle them or check them or whatever, and then have the conversation with the doctor. If someone feels more comfortable having it written down, you know, I'm totally fine with that. I'll usually go over the birth plan with someone. If there's anything there that I think is not doable, or I want to amend based on our conversation, I'll literally write it on the birth plan. And then I'll usually just sign it and put it in their chart and say, I reviewed this. It's cool. You know, we're all on the same page. All the questions are answered. But 
other than that, I don't think it's necessary. So when someone says, do I need a birth plan? I was like, no, like, you know, you just ask me the questions you want to ask. And mm-hmm. if you don't know what to ask. I can, you know, help you with that. And if someone wants to do it, as long as it's, as long as it's approached in a way that's working with your doctor or midwife to find out what's, you know, the right thing and the best thing, as opposed to a compatible way, which again is the exception, but it happens periodically is important. And no one should feel pressure that they have to do one if they don't have questions. Like you said, what, you know, your, your friend, their, the birth plan was, you know, two people in, three people out. Right. Yeah. And people frequently have those. They'll be like, yeah, my birth plan's nothing. I'm an epidural and a healthy baby. Does that work? And I'll be like, yeah, that's yeah. fine. You know, we'll talk. And at the end of the day, most people don't want a C-section. Yeah. You know, most people want a vaginal delivery. Most people, like if you were to say, do you want forceps or do you not want forceps? Most are going to be like, well, I don't want them. You know, most people want a low-risk vaginal delivery. And that's our goal, no matter what's written down, whether people verbalize it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, I joke with patients, you know, I'll say like, I don't want to do a C-section. Like, that's more work for me. It's much easier (laughs) for you to do all the pushing, me to get all the credit for the delivery rather than make me work. Yeah. You know, all joking aside, we, our number one goal is healthy mom, healthy baby. And then the next after that, I think would be vaginal delivery. Right, I totally agree. I appreciate they were talking about birth plans. A lot of people feel very strongly about this. If someone is listening and is pregnant and never had a birth plan, ever thought of having a birth plan, great. Maybe this open, you know, sort of the discussion for things. Oh, I do want to talk about that. You know, with my doctor, let me make sure I talk about that. Or maybe I do want to come up with a birth plan. Great. Or if someone has a birth plan, they may want to revisit it. And if someone, you know, is sort of, you know, upset that we're we're not like totally gung ho. Uh, on the birth plan, I think that's just to to rethink, like, what exactly is the purpose of your mm-hmm. birth plan? And it really should be to make sure that, you know, I've had a conversation with my doctor or my midwife. We're on the same page. We all have the same goals. They know what I want. And, you know, I know what the limitations are with this. And we're all entering this on the same team. And that's really the most important thing. And if if someone feels that their doctor or their midwife is, you know, an opponent mm-hmm. and not a teammate, that's a situation you should get out of. It's just not a healthy situation to be in. It may end up working out okay, but there's a lot of room for problems there. And certainly it's just it's just not pleasant for anybody involved. But as I said, for the most part, these are really positive conversations. They're educational, they're informative. You really get a sense of what who people are, what they want. And I think most people come out of these conversations feeling a lot better about what's gonna happen in labor and not worse. And I think it also helps when things don't go according to plan for a patient. You would know better than me if it was studied or not. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if your outcome is not what was in your birth plan, are you more likely to be depressed or not? You know, anecdotally, I think so. Anecdotally, when I see these patients for postpartum and they had a C-section and didn't want it or whatever it was, you know, I think there there is more of a depression. A component of depression and anxiety. But I think when we've had these conversations in advance, you know, they don't feel it's a like it's the doctor's fault type of thing. Right, right. As Andre always says, it's about managing expectations. <laughs> and it's just, you know, because again, if someone was hoping, again, we're talking about everyone's healthy, right? If someone ends up not being healthy after delivery, that's its own situation. But everyone comes out healthy. But if someone was really eager to have a, a birth without an epidural or maybe eager to have a vaginal birth and not a cesarean. And it didn't work out that way. And the baby's healthy and they have the perspective that, yeah, you know, I'm happy everyone's healthy, but I really prefer to vaginal delivery or to do without an epidural or whatever, you know, th- that sort of desire was. 
I agree that if it's something that wasn't spoken about and there wasn't a conversation about it and their expectation was, this is really going to happen, this is really going to happen, and then suddenly in labor, it changes and they feel like it was a letdown. Yeah, I think they're going to have much more of a a bad taste about it or maybe even some lingering you know, feelings, whether it's you know depressive or anxious, something like that. Whereas if there was a conversation about, well, these are the expectations, this is sort of what we do, this is why we change plans and how, and it's explained either in advance or even in labor, if the conversation is really thorough and it's good and people get a sense, I do think that there's less regret over how it played out. I do agree because a lot of times when I talk to people about their birth experience, either with other groups or with our group where they where they really just feel bitter about it. Again, even though everything worked out okay and they know that, but they just feel like it doesn't sit right with them. It's usually because they felt there wasn't a discussion about it, that Mm -hmm. they just were left out of it or, you know, the doctor didn't explain it to me or I didn't have a chance to ask questions and I, I didn't feel comfortable with it. And it's usually that more than the fact that it changed from what, yeah. what they were expecting. And so that's why this concept is helpful. Again, the paper isn't what's helpful. It's the conversations I think are very helpful for people before they deliver or while they're in labor. All right, Melka. Awesome. Love it. Good. All right. I'm, I'm awaiting. Oh, we did a birth plan for our, our holiday party. We did. You and I did the the mock birth plan. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to read that on the air, I think. <laughs> That's probably going to get censored. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Melka. Thank Have you. Have everyone. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.